Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Beyond the Burning Bush by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Um, And Lord, I pray today, Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We thank you that you are here. I just pray now that seeds would be sown as your word goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. As a welcome back, one of my, uh, some people, if you're new here, it's good because I can rehash some of my old jokes. Um, so, uh, and one that I like is um, there's two Irish lads. Yeah. <laughs> not, not called Richard and Richard, no. No, no, no. no. Uh, a couple of Irish lads, absolute thugs. Guys grow up, you know, just kind of a breakdown in the family. Absolute dead set thugs, these guys. And anyway, one of the twins dies. And the other brother goes to the local vicar and he says, I'd like you to do the funeral. And the vicar says, oh, he says, I'd rather not if, if it's all the same. And, and the brother said, he said, oh, he said, I think there might be a mistake here. He said, I wasn't asking. He says, I want you to do the funeral. He said, and you must somewhere in the eulogy, you must uh, make the statement that my brother was a saint. The vicar's like, oh. The vicar says, you know what, I'll do it. He goes away and he thinks about it for a couple of days, prepares his eulogy, gets to the time of the funeral, stands up, gets the better of him. Stands up and he says, you know what? He says, the young man that's passed away, he said he was nothing but a downright crook, a thug and a despot. He said, but compared to his brother... He was a saint. (laughs) If you're Irish here this morning, that's not a parable. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, um, I'd like to spend most of the time in Hebrews 11 this morning. Uh, I remember when I was driving taxis, I had my own taxis for almost six years and I remember one morning I get a call to the casino where there's accommodation and so forth uh, and to pick somebody up. Normally you get a name, particularly if that person's important, you would get a name to pick them up. But I didn't didn't get a name. I I roll around, quiet Saturday morning, everybody's just about going home. I roll around to the front revolving door of the casino and and here's this guy that doesn't look like he's had a bath in three weeks and uh, he's sitting out the front steps with a guitar and he he gets in and uh, puts his guitar in the boot and he's got his bags and... uh, I looked at him and I had no idea who he was. But driving out of the airport, it's about a 25-minute ride, and I'm making small talk. Hey, how are you? What brings you to Tasmania? I've got some short, very abrupt answers. I thought, this is, something's going on here, you know? Like, what's, what's going on? I was just trying to be nice to this guy. Didn't, didn't make much conversation. was pretty rude. Oh, okay. And in the taxis, they have what they call cab charges. Now, if you're, if you're aligned with a company or, or whatever, then sometimes you have, if you catch a lot of taxis, you'll have a cab charge book. You, you rip one out, fill the amount out and give it to the taxi driver. We put a couple of ones and a couple of zeros on the end and, and, and away you go. But uh, anyway, this guy writes me a cab charge, fills out the amount, gives it to me. I thought, That's strange. And, I'm, and I, I opened up the cab charge. I thought, maybe, maybe some of the other guys. So I parked on the rank and I've gone up and down. I said, you wouldn't believe it. I said, this guy here is rude, took his bags in for him. Uh, I said, gave me this cab charge. One of the guys sitting there said, hang on a second. Give me a look at the cab charge. Where'd you get him from? I said, the casino. He said, give me a look at the cab charge. He says, you goose. Now, this name here is probably not going to resonate. Unless you're, if you're over 40, this name might resonate. 
If you're under 40, you're probably going to go, what the, who? What? What? Uh, it turns out it was Rick Price. Does anybody here know Rick Price? See, everyone's going, yeah, I know Rick Price. I didn't know who he was. And he didn't make conversation because he's got into my taxi. And I was completely underwhelmed by who he was. And so he must have been a little bit miffed. And the, and the guy sitting on the rank said, mate, you just had Rick Price in your taxi. I said, well, I didn't know. And I was completely unaware. And the unfortunate thing is we live in a society today that have like got God for them is like Rick Price on the back seat, completely underwhelmed. No idea who it is that's riding in the back seat. And even sadder than that is that for many of us in church life, we're completely underwhelmed by this glorious God, largely because we don't know who he is. But I believe we can turn that around. I was very encouraged this week, and I, I have a message I believe this morning that uh, will resonate with some people that are sitting here. But I was encouraged this week because McCrindle have released their research. McCrindle researched over 30 different uh, church and charitable organisations. And these statistics were evident before COVID but have increased since COVID that in Australia, just in Australia, that's where the research was done, that there is an increase in spiritual desire and hunger amongst those who are unchurched. And I think that's great. I actually thank God. I know it's terrible. I know there's some terrible things that have happened, but I thank God for COVID because what COVID has begun to do in the hearts of people inside of churches and outside of churches is amazing to see how God is working. And if you're able to be here next week, we're going to unpack this a little bit as we look at the topic of uh, why suffering, and we're going to look at the the answer from Job. But today I want to talk about a a man that we might know. How do we turn this around? How do we, uh, in a society that is completely underwhelmed with God, what is there that we can do to turn it around? Well, the truth of the matter is... uh, Everybody outside of the walls of churches are somewhat underwhelmed with God because we are. If we want to change the perception of the world, if we want them to think God is glorious, then we need to live a life that reflects how glorious God is. And because the ladies were away, this morning's message applies to ladies, but if you're a man here this morning, then I've deliberately aimed what I want to say this morning if you've got your Bibles and you're in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses. Now, before we go any further, most of us here know the story of Moses, but let's kind of bring it to a place where I'd like to thumbnail a point in his life. Moses is born at a time when Israel is in slavery to Egypt. And because Israel is beginning to prolifically grow in numbers, Pharaoh decides that he's going to knock off the firstborn and he goes about doing it. His mum, Moses' mum, it says, sees that he is special and hides him for three months and then puts him in a basket of reeds, we know that, floats him down the Nile and he is taken into Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses is then, uh, he would have been well-educated 
His life would have been mapped out for him. This guy would have had everything laid out. No, he would not have been in line for the throne. No way. But he had a life of privilege. He had a life of prestige laid out before him. But what we understand about Moses is this. He knows that he has been set apart. From a very early age, he knows that God has set him apart. And even though he's in Pharaoh's house, he's well aware that he's a Hebrew. He's also well aware that God has placed his finger on him to be the instrument that God would use to deliver Israel. And we all know what happens, that after about 40 years, Moses takes matters into his own hands. He tries to get ahead of God. He tries to to rush the timing of God. And and what happens is he he sees an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, takes matters into his own hands. How many are sitting here today going, hang on a second, that's beginning to sound a lot like my life. How many people are sitting here going, I know God's got more for me. How many people here think they've missed their chance and their timing? You see, Moses is completely embarrassed, fears for his life and runs for the wilderness. Runs into a couple of ladies, one of them's name's Miriam. Marries her, ends up tending sheep for his father in the wilderness. And I want to I put a bookmark in the life of Moses now because we're going we're to come back here in a moment when we, when we bring this to a close. But at this point in Moses' life, he has, <clears throat> he's probably asking questions like, what now, God? What next, God? I thought I was going to be the instrument to deliver Israel. I thought you had my life mapped out for me. What next? Here I am in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep that won't do as they're told. It's like our kids. What next? How could... Maybe Moses is standing in the wilderness thinking, there is no way God could turn this around. How many, how many people are sitting there? How many people are sitting in a position right now where saying, God, how could you possibly bring me back to where you've got me? Well, I'm glad you asked all of those questions. Let's begin to have a little bit of a look at what Hebrews 11 has to say about Moses. Now, uh, just a little bit of context about the the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, The letter to the Hebrews was written by somebody that we don't know. Um, it can't have been Paul. The dates just don't line up. Uh, some people say it was Barnabas. It, yeah, it could have been. But aside from all of that, the letter to the Hebrews is written to Jewish believers. And the first 10 chapters of Hebrews is exposing the wonderful gospel of Jesus and, and how everything, if you could sum Hebrews up in one word, it's the word better. The writer to the Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is better than angels and far more powerful. Uh, The writer of the Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is far better than Moses. He wants us to know that the new covenant is far better than the old covenant. He would like us to know that the blood of Jesus is far more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. And he exposes our position before God. And then we get to chapter 10 and the writer says, let us therefore draw near to God. And then when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, the writer would like to say, this is what it looks like in your life. And he takes the examples of all the men and women of history that God has worked through and says, this is what it's like. So let's begin verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's press the pause button for a moment. Uh, Moses, uh, what does that mean for Moses? Moses is going to step down from a life of privilege. He's going to, he's going to leave a life of, of great comfort. What Moses is doing is he says, you know what? Uh, I was born a Hebrew. I am an Israelite and I'm no longer going to allow Egypt to tell me who I am. I'm no longer going to tell Egypt to tell me what I must do. I'm no longer going to let Egypt tell me what it is that I'm going to think. No, he says, I refuse for anybody from now on to know me as Pharaoh's daughter. He left it behind. Pharaoh's son. Today you could get away with both. (laughs) Depends on what he identified at. Is that right, Terry? (laughs) We won't go down that road because that's a very slippery slope. He refused to be known as Pharaoh's son or the son of Pharaoh's daughter, excuse me. Here's the important part. Choosing rather, and I'm going to read the full verse and we'll unpack it. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm going to read that again. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses, the faith that is being highlighted here is a faith that makes a decision. And I think and I firmly believe that there are people in this room today that are confronted with the fact that we need to make a decision. You need to cross the line. Uh, A.W. Tozer says that every single one of us, man or woman, we need to choose our world. And I want to make it clear this morning, there are only two. There is the world that is the natural sinful world that is governed by other principalities and powers, or there is God's world. But there is also an attempt, and it's, it's a fake place, but there is an attempt where some Christians are, are attempting to create a world where we have the best of both. I, I want all of God and all of his blessings, but I also want to have all of the world when it suits me. That, that world doesn't exist. Never has existed. In fact, the writer of the Hebrews wants to make it clear that the heroes of faith that you know of chose their world. We are living in days right now where we need to choose our world. If you were on trial today, charged with being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Moses chose his world. By choosing one world, we have to do what Moses did first and refuse the first world. We have to leave it behind. We don't allow the first world to govern how we think. We don't allow this world to tell us who we are. We don't allow this world to tell us how marriage should be defined. We don't allow this world to tell us that life is not life until you, until you come out of the womb. What? We don't allow this world to tell us that a good death looks like you can put a needle in your arm and do away with yourself whenever it's convenient because you're clogging up our hospitals and our palliative care system. 
We don't allow the world to tell us that. Life is far more precious than that. Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated. He chose to number himself amongst slaves. We're going to read a little bit more about what that looks like in a moment, but I want to be clear. If you were sold a gospel that sounds like come to Jesus and your life is going to be rosy and, 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 and everything's going to be fine just the minute you say this prayer, uh, you'll, you'll never get sick again, uh, your bank account will always be full, uh, everything's going to be fine, then I'm sorry, you need to go and get your money back. Jesus was clear when he said, if you're going to come after me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Uh, Jesus said, if you follow me, you will have trouble in this world. I want to make it clear that the choice we make for God means that you might lose some friends or Facebook. Shock horror. Choosing the world of God means people may no longer like you. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, Choosing God's world means that your people at work, well, you know what, They, they might not look at you the same anymore. You might get overlooked for promotion simply because of what you believe. And what is interesting is that when these things happen, we are surprised. (gasps) They defriended me on Facebook because I made a Christian. Why are you surprised? Jesus says that anybody who would like to save his life must lose it. And what Moses does right here is he loses his life to gain the life. He chooses to be mistreated with the people of God. Let me try and help you out a little bit. My favourite deeply theological movie is a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Anybody seen this? Yeah. That's a favourite. It's a great movie, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Towards the end of the movie, Andy Dufresne, the... The character, the main character of the movie, uh, has been through quite a lot. It's been proven that he's probably innocent. Uh, everybody in jail thinks, hey, we thought this guy was guilty, now he's innocent. And, and there's a scene right near the end where we're given a glimpse as to what's been going on. We know that Andy's tunnelled through the wall behind the picture, right? We, we, we know he's mapped it out, that he's got to climb through the sewer line. We, we know that he's made it all these fictitious people on the outside. He's been putting money away. We know that. He's been pinching the warden's money and putting it away so that when he break, he's made all of the preparations. He has a conversation with his friend Red. Morgan Freeman is the actor. He has a conversation with his friend Red. and That conversation ends with this sentence. He says, you either get busy living or get busy dying. And that night he breaks out of jail, but his friend thinks he's going to knock himself off. And many of us in this room are like Andy Dufresne. We've tunnelled through the wall, we've made all of the preparations. You know, we're, yes, we come to church and we've done all of this, but we're yet to cross the line and choose our world for God. Another man that was in that position was Thomas. Remember Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas, in chapter 11 of John, Thomas says, 
Let us go to Jerusalem with Jesus, even if we have to die with him. <laughs> Things change for Thomas. When they haul Jesus away, he, he's out of here. Then Jesus rises from the dead and the disciples come to Thomas and they say, you know what, we've seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And Thomas knows exactly what that means. Thomas knows that if you're telling me the truth, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, if Jesus is alive, that has huge implications for my life. He stands at the line and he says, I'm not going to cross this line unless I can put my fingers in his hand and my hands in his side. This is, isn't Jesus glorious? When Jesus meets Thomas, he doesn't rebuke Thomas. He doesn't tell him off. He says, hey, Thomas, put your finger in here. Then I put your hand in here. And doubting Thomas crossed the line that day and he said, my Lord and my God. He'd followed Jesus for three years. He says, my Lord and my God. And it was that Thomas that took the gospel to India and suffered a horrible death because he would not refuse to preach the gospel. But he crossed the line. He chose his world. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ. This, this verse is awesome. This is where the crunch is coming now. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Wow. The decision that Moses made was a simple decision for Moses because at the end of the day, when it all boiled down, he considered something. He said, you know what? God is far more valuable than anything this world could ever offer me. I was greatly encouraged on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, uh, we had our combined life group meeting and we were talking about Acts chapter 2 and we were talking about uh, a return, for want of a better term, a return of the spectacular in church. And by the time the night ended, I was greatly encouraged because the conversation had swung from signs, miracles, all these things to, you know what? God's the one who's spectacular. And if we come to church and all we get is more of God, we've got everything we ever wanted. Moses was a man that said, you know what? There's nothing in this world that could offer me anything close to what I can get by choosing God. I, I remember watching a, a show called Porn Stars. It's not what you think it is. I don't know where they come up with these names. But it's about a pawnbroker shop in Las Vegas and all the weird and wonderful things they have come in there. And a couple of guys playing guitar this morning might be able to help me out, but a guy walks in with a Les Paul guitar uh, and it was signed by, um, I think it was Hendrix, not sure, something like that. So they validate the signature. It's Jimi Hendrix. Now, when this guy pulls the guitar out and puts it on the counter, I'm immediately thinking... Two, three grand. The guy behind the counter says, look, if it's really a Les Paul guitar and if it's really signed by Jimi Hendrix, I'm going to need to call my bank manager. I'm thinking, what? So it turns out, uh, I mean, I don't know what guitars are worth. Maybe, Maybe four or five grand would buy a nice guitar. 
okay, yeah, yeah. You'd buy a nice, you'd buy a nice guitar for, for four or five grand, which is, you know, $300 US. <laughs> but they get a guy and he says, no, this is Jimi Hendrix's signature. Whoa. And they get a guitar specialist in and the guitar specialist says, this is definitely a Les Paul. And he said, it's definitely one that, that he owned. This is, this is Ridgy Ditch. The guy who owns a guitar shop, who's a professional, says, hey, if you don't buy it, ring me. <laughs> and let me know. Tell the guy to come down and see me in my shop. Uh, that guitar sold for over $100,000. And let's say a four or $5,000 guitar was all of a sudden worth well over $100,000. Why? Because of who it was that had touched it. Moses says, you know what, the, you can't write a check. In Moses' eyes, he didn't see a four or $5,000 guitar. He said, there's just, there's just no money. This is the most glorious and valuable treasure in all of the universe. And he says, I'll leave everything else behind that I might gain God. The writer to the Hebrews put it like this. Let's read it again. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth what do you consider to be the greater wealth in your life? This isn't about what you possess this morning. This isn't about the car you drive. This isn't about the house you live in. This isn't about what you possess. This is about what possesses you. It's okay for God to bless people with fishing rods. <laughs> He considered the reproach. You need the fish as well. He could bless Reuben with a few of those. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Uh, can I tell you this morning that your horizon will always determine your direction? And for Moses, his, his horizon was completely different because everybody in Egypt's horizon was down here. And they were focused on building kingdoms here. They were focused on uh, this life. They were focused on amassing possessions and, and greater harvest and greater wealth and all of these things. When Moses said, you know what, if you could see where I can see, you would realise that they aren't worth anything. I'm looking for a reward. Paul put it a little bit like this. Paul, the apostle, had a deeply athletic background, by the way. And he said that when we're running our race of faith, that we should run like there's only one prize. Like, there's millions of people running for it and only, you, only one person that crosses the line. You should run like that. Verse 12 of the same book says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What should we do when we're running our race? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Moses easily forsook everything to do with Egypt because he had his eyes on God. I want to finish this morning. You might be sitting here this morning going, I get that. How, how can I change my circumstances? How is it that 
You know, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, is God underwhelming for us? Is God like Rick Price in the back of my taxi? Is And today, like, everybody's Rick Price. When was the last time he released a song, right? Well, here's what happened. Chapter 3 of Exodus goes a little bit like this. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. I want to make it clear this morning, God still lights burning bushes. In fact, there are people sitting in this room right now here this morning that God is lighting bushes for. I was greatly encouraged yesterday as our brother John Aquiningo shared his story about change, something about change and turning points. If we look back on our life, and I asked you to, to name the one defining turning point of your life, I bet you you've got many. I bet you there's many points along the path of your life where God has lit bushes or there's been enormous interruption in your life. God still lights bushes today. Let's keep reading on. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. It was not unusual in Israel. It's not unusual in the Middle East for for bushes to spontaneously combust. But to burn and not be consumed, something's different. Verse 3, this is the clincher. And Moses said, I will Turn aside. Mm. To see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Listen to verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Mm. If you're sitting here this morning and saying, what can I do? Uh, I feel like Moses in the wilderness. I feel like God has more for me, but I've gone and mucked it up. I've rushed ahead of God. I've gone ahead of his timing. If I ask everybody here this morning, put your hand up if you've ever got ahead of God's timing. All of us have put both our hands up. We've tried to rush the plan of God and instead we've frustrated the plan of God. Well, if that's you today, I want you to know that God's still lighting bushes. But unless you do what Moses did, you're not likely to hear the voice of God. You're not likely to encounter God. What Moses did, he said, I will turn aside. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Why is it holy ground? It's holy ground because God's there. My question to everybody in this room, my question to men this morning. Men, if you want your family, your children, to be less underwhelmed with God, it starts with us. Leaders, if we want those that we are leading to be less underwhelmed with God, it starts with us. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, I want God and I want to choose his world, there's one thing you can do today and that is you can turn aside. 
What does it look like for you to turn aside today? What does it look like for you to lay aside the distractions of this world, to lay aside everything else and say, I'm just going to turn aside and I'm going to seek God? What does that look like for each one of us? Let's pray. Father, I pray, I pray that each person in this room, every single one of us, I pray that you would turn us aside. I pray that you would light bushes. And I pray that each one of us would turn aside, Father. Lord, I pray that every one of us would hunger for you alone. We become hungry for so many other things. Lord God, remove our appetite for this world that we would only hunger for you. Lord, one drop, one drop of you and our eternity could be changed forever. Father, I pray that every person in this room would choose their world and turn aside to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.